The reading this evening is from the book of Ruth, chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. If you'd like to follow it in the church Bibles, it's on page 270. Ruth 4, 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. (coughs) Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Mandy. Evening. Hello. Um, so, I don't think it quite made it onto the service sheet, but um, on, the, on the preaching rotor for... Um, this term, uh, the title given for this sermon, way back in the spring was, and she gave birth to a boy. (laughs) I take my sermon preparation very seriously. (laughs) Obviously, it remains to be seen whether Eddie actually has a remarkable gift of prophecy, um, but I'm going to try very hard to be nothing more than an amusing visual aid um, rather than an actual reenactment of the sermon title today. Um, (laughs) But should we pray to start? That seems wise, doesn't it? (laughs) Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. We thank you for all that it teaches us about you, about your faithfulness. Um, And I pray that we would leave here tonight knowing you and loving you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, as we begin a little challenge for you. I'm not sure how difficult this is going to be, but we're going to roll with it. Um, With your Bibles open, I want you to look back through the book of Ruth and see where you can see it explicitly says that God did something. So we have one in today's reading. Give you a hint, one in today's reading and then one right at the beginning of the book. Can anyone find me the one right at the beginning of the book? 
where it says explicitly that God did something. It is there, I checked. Mandy's got it. Go on. Yeah. The Lord had come to his aid of his people by providing food for them. So what we discover as we do our investigative work is something quite surprising. In this book of Ruth, this beautifully rich theological book, only twice does it explicitly say that God steps in and does something. So first in chapter 1, verse 6, thank you, Mandy, when he sends food to Naomi's family in Bethlehem. And then here in chapter 4, verse 13, where he enables Ruth to conceive. Remember, we also learned back in uh, chapter 1 that Ruth had been married before to Naomi's son for 10 years with no children. And therefore, it likely would have been considered barren by the wider culture. And so this conception would have been, especially in the eyes of Naomi, a miracle. God had stepped in. These mentions of God's explicit actions bookend the story of Ruth. But for the remainder, for for this big chunk in the middle, there's no mention, really, of God stepping in and acting in purposeful and miraculous ways. We get lots of mentions of God and people praying and things changing, but there's no explicit mention of God stepping in and acting. And yet, I think we can probably all agree that the story of Ruth has the providence and action of God written all over it, right? We've been journeying with Ruth for the past six weeks. What we've seen is there have been a series of profound, powerful, seemingly miraculous encounters that lead to something wonderful happening. We have Ruth, who just so happens to refuse to leave Naomi, showing deep loyalty. We have Ruth, who just so happens to stumble into Boaz's field to glean. We have Boaz, who just so happens to be a kind and faithful man who lets her glean, even leaving extra for her. We have Boaz, who just so happens to be Naomi's family's kingsman redeemer. What are the chances of that? We have Ruth, who just so happens to be able to sneak onto the threshing floor and talk with Boaz. And we have the other kingsman redeemer last week, who just so happens to be unwilling to marry Ruth. And then we have Boaz, who just so happens to be willing to do it instead. I just picked a few. There are loads of them. The list goes on. We have in the book of Ruth a series of coincidences, a series of events that all form a redemption narrative for Naomi. Naomi, who at the beginning of the book says that the Lord has afflicted me. She is destitute and she has to leave all that she knows in order to return home. She is a widow, she is poor. She is two of what they, in the Old Testament, they call the quartet of the vulnerable, Um, which is um, the widow, the poor, the orphan, and the foreigner. So when you throw Ruth into that mix as well, you've got three of the four. You've got nearly a full house of the Quartet of the Vulnerable. These are people who would not have had any um, built-in protection in a patriarchal farming society such as Israel was. They did not have the protection of a male relative or access to land to grow food or earn a living from. So Naomi, by being both a widow and poor, and Ruth, by being a foreigner, they're intensely vulnerable. But God is at work. What we see in much of the book of Ruth is that God was at work, not necessarily through miraculous groundbreaking interventions, 
but through the everyday faithfulnesses of his people obeying his law. Through Ruth, the Moabite foreigners, unexpected loyalty to her mother-in-law, through Boaz's adherence to the gleaning laws in the Torah, through Ruth's boldness in approaching Boaz and asking him to marry her, through Boaz's obedience to this requirement, put in God's law to protect people like Naomi and Ruth, who between them make up three of the four members of the Quartet of the Vulnerable. Naomi and Ruth embody the vulnerability that God's law was written to protect. And Boaz, in his kindness and in his obedience, embodies exactly how this was supposed to work. So what we see in the book of Ruth is that God was at work through the everyday faithfulnesses of his people obeying his law. Because quite frankly, there's nothing particularly dramatic about this story, really. It probably played out in one form or another hundreds or thousands of times every week in ancient Israel. The vulnerable in need of protection. It's nothing new except for the faithfulness and obedience of the characters, the widow, the foreigner, and the farmer. And this realization becomes even more powerful when we remember what it says right at the beginning of the book of Ruth, in the days when the judges ruled. Now, I don't need to spend much time in the book of the judges. It's wild, absolutely wild. This story takes place, this reality is played out at a time when the land of Israel was descending into chaos. That's what the book of Judges is basically about. People are doing, everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. That's an ongoing refrain in the book of Judges. And things just get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until people eventually lose their identities and everything has gone to pot. People are descending into poverty, people are failing to uphold God's laws, instead turning to their own ideas of good and evil and imitating the surrounding nations. And that's when the book of Ruth takes place. So when we think about the, um, the context in which this book is happening, we contrast the actions of the widow, the foreign, and the farmer in the book of Ruth with the utter chaos of the book of Judges. We see a glimmer of hope. We see a glimmer of light. We see God working through the everyday faithfulnesses and obedience of his people, even in the midst of chaos. This book is seeking to show us the importance and significance of God's law, the goodness of God's law, and its wider impact, and also what happens when we simply obey him. How God works through everyday faithfulnesses of ordinary people how he weaves together the faithful obedience of his people to bring about his redemptive purposes in the world. He only steps in twice in the book of Ruth, we're told. And yet, we see this miraculous redemption narrative throughout. You tracking? Does this make sense? Okay, we've got some nods. (laughs) Phew. (laughs) The book of Ruth, in its entirety, as we close it up this week, it invites us... God is inviting us to consider how God might be at work in and through the very ordinary, mundane details of our lives. I'm going to say that again. The book of Ruth 
invites us to consider how God might be at work in and through the very ordinary, mundane details of our lives. So a little question for reflection. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to think about it in a second. What might everyday faithfulness look like in your context? It's probably not going to be glamorous or showy. After all, Ruth's loyalty and Boaz's kindness certainly weren't glamorous or showy, and they were actually quite costly. It's not going to be glamorous or showy, but it's everyday faithfulness. What might it look like for you? To give you a little bit of a framework to help you consider that, um, the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity, or LICC to its friends, I know many of you here are familiar with their work, talks about everyday fruitfulness in the form of something called the six M's. Um, And they're a really helpful framework to help you think about how might God be working in and through you in your everyday life. So let me just run through them quickly to help you as you consider this question of what might everyday faithfulness look like for you. Six M's. Number one, modeling godly character. It's the fruit of the spirit. It's Boaz's kindness and Ruth's faithfulness. Modeling godly character. Making good work. Doing whatever you do to the best of your ability for the glory of God. There's no doubt Boaz was a very good farmer. He made good work as a farmer. Making good work. Modeling godly character. Making good work. Ministering grace and love. Like Boaz going above and beyond in the way that he allowed Ruth to glean and left extra for her. He ministered grace and love. Molding culture. Small little changes that over time change the culture of a workplace, of a football team, of a, um, of a group of friends. Molding a culture. Being a mouthpiece for truth and justice. Like how Boaz made sure that Naomi and Ruth had a kingsman redeemer. He spoke up for truth and justice. And being a messenger of the gospel, always being willing to give an answer for the hope that you have. Modeling godly character, making good work, ministering grace and love, molding culture, being a mouthpiece of truth and justice, and being a messenger of the gospel. So I'm going to give us two minutes in the quiet now. You don't have to talk to anyone, don't worry. And think to yourself, as you head into a new year, as you enter the Christmas season, So you think about what 2024 looks like for you, what you know it holds and what you don't know it holds. What might everyday faithfulness look like for you? I'm going to give you a couple of minutes. I'm actually going to pray about this for a second, just because I think it's really important. Should we just pray? God of the universe, you are interested in the tiny little parts of our lives. You are interested in the ordinary, the mundane, the the almost boring parts. And you call us to be obedient, even in the midst of those. And so I ask, would you encourage us with the ways that we are already being faithful in the midst of a busy life? And would you give us eyes to see opportunities to continue to be obedient and faithful to your law, to your word, to your calling, to your people over the coming weeks, months, and into next year. 
thank you that you equip us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we come to the end of this book, which Mandy um, read so well for us, it seems that Naomi, the woman who, right at the beginning of the book, renames herself Bitter, um, because the Lord had um, afflicted her. It seems like she gets a happily ever after, right? And the story could end at verse 17, and no one, I think, would feel particularly cheated. Uh, Naomi has someone to take care of her. In the words of the women, Naomi has a son. May he be blessed down the generations. God has, through the everyday faithfulness of his people and their obedience, redeemed Naomi's story. The story could end there, but it doesn't. Instead, the book ends with a genealogy. It's one of those classic, this person was the father, this person was the father, this person. But this one has some more exciting names in it than those in perhaps the book of Numbers. Um, Obed, Ruth and Boaz's son, was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. So in the midst of the time of the judges, as Israel is descending into chaos, as I would imagine it seemed like the world was on fire, God was working out his redemptive purposes. And let's note here, we can uh, just skip through a genealogy. It took Mandy, what, all of 30 seconds to read it? We can skip through a genealogy and read it super quickly, but what I tend to forget, and I I can only assume that you do as well because we're all human, is um, that these names represent whole lifetimes These are like people with lives, like these are people who had children who had children and often they would only see like one or two generations. And so they represent whole lifetimes. We can read through it super quickly, but these are whole lifetimes that are happening. So so often in the Bible and today, people are just asked to be faithful for their time. And they never get to see the big picture of God's plan. Naomi got a son, a grandson. But what she didn't know, what she wouldn't have lived to see, is Obed's grandson would become Israel's great King David. She wouldn't have been alive to see that. God was at work in Naomi's life, but also in redemption history over multiple lifetimes. We often, I think, uh, want God to work powerfully in our lives and in history at the same time. To be privileged enough to witness God at work in the big and the small picture. We expect or desire instant revival, game-changing interventions in our lifetime, if only we do the right thing. I know that's what I want a lot of the time anyway. But the, the book of Ruth and this narrative of Naomi's life shows us that we're called to be obedient in the small, everyday faithfulnesses of life, and then we have to leave the rest to God. As much as we might wish to know how we're playing a bigger part in the bigger narrative, we, we can't. All we can ever be is obedient and leave the rest to God. Easier said than done, I find. And when we do that... God does marvellous, mind-blowing things. Because if you turn with me to Matthew 1, 
This is the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. I don't know what page it's on, sorry. It's right at the beginning of the New Testament. It's the genealogy of Jesus all the way from Abraham. It's another thing you could read aloud in about a minute, but this is like literal lifetimes. You'll recognize some of the names in this, in Matthew 1, because we've just read them in the Ruth 4. Look at verses 3 to 6 of Matthew 1, if you're interested. But now we can play a little game of spot the difference. What's been added into Matthew 1 that isn't in Ruth 4? What can you see? It's not a trick. Women. Bingo. Ding, ding, ding. It's the women. Four different women feature in Jesus' genealogy. Tamar, Rahab, who was the mother of Boaz, Ruth, and Uriah's wife, a.k.a. Bathsheba. Four women who um, are a jilted daughter-in-law who used trickery to get what was rightfully hers, a prostitute, a foreigner, and another man's wife. In Jewish culture, these are not women or stories to be proud of. These are not upstanding members of the community. They are abused. They are treated as property in the most dehumanizing of ways. They are not part of the in crowd. But the, the thread that connects them all is that they are faithful. They are faithful to God's law. They make unprecedented declarations of faith. And they hold the men in their lives to a higher standard. They are ordinary women, mothers, who just show up and are obedient. They don't know the part they're playing in God's bigger story of redemption. They're just faithful in the moment and push those around them to be faithful too. They are simultaneously nothing special and the most special thing any of us can ever be, faithful and obedient to God. And God is at work through them, through their obedience and through their offspring. Sometimes, if we're really honest, we don't know where our lives fit in the big picture of God's plan. I sometimes feel like it'd be easier if I did. Be like, great, so we're doing this for this reason because this ultimately will happen. Cool. That would be so much easier, wouldn't it? If God gave me like a blueprint of like, well, this will result in this. But so much of the time, we just don't know where our lives fit in the big picture of God's plan. Sometimes we don't get the easy path or the straightforward life or the answers that we want in this lifetime. Sometimes things are just a mess. Sometimes things are just a mess. But what the book of Ruth and Matthew's genealogy at the beginning of his book and the story of Christmas as a whole, if we're really honest, shows us is this. God is faithful in the mess. He is at work in the world, in our lives, and also in the wider picture of redemption. There's so much in the, in the Christmas story that you think, okay, so Mary said yes to, to having a baby when she wasn't married, cool. And then you think, okay, maybe that was the biggest thing, but then she has to leave her home and travel, heavily pregnant, across the country to Bethlehem, and then she has to give birth somewhere where she really is unideal in every sense of the word. And then they have to flee. And then you're just, I can just imagine Mary being like, seriously, was the first thing not enough? Really? But all she could ever be was obedient to what God had asked her to do. 
It's all we can ever be. We're just obedient and we leave the rest to God. And God works miraculously through our everyday faithfulness. Mary's quite a highbrow example of this, but you know what I'm getting at, right? (laughs) When it feels like things aren't going to plan, when it seems like the world is on fire, like in the time of the judges, when we're tempted to change our names to words like bitter because we feel as if the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me, it's Naomi's words in chapter one, when circumstances are not fair and not easy and don't make any sense, because let's be honest, that's a lot of the time, isn't it? When circumstances are not fair and not easy and don't make any sense, God is still at work. He is at work in miraculous ways through provision of food and new life. But he's also at work in the quietest and most unlikely of places, which is through his faithful people. So as we come into land, I want us to take both an encouragement and a challenge from this. Firstly, an encouragement. God is at work in our lives and our mess and our difficulties, just as he was with Naomi. When she thought God was punishing her, when she thought God had afflicted her, he turned things around. It takes some time at the end of the service to read the contrast between the Naomi in chapter one and the Naomi in chapter four. It's a really beautiful um, symmetry, like um, kind of bookends of the difference between God, Naomi saying, oh, God has afflicted me. Everything's gone terribly. I'm bitter and I will rejoice because God has turned this around for me. It's a real journey. It's beautifully bookended. God is at work in our lives and our mess and our difficulties just as he is, as he was with Naomi. He will bless us in the quietest and most unexpected ways. We shouldn't lose hope even in the face of seemingly impossible situations. Just have to take the next step. That's our encouragement. And then our challenge. God is able to work through our lives to bless others. Like he did with Ruth's loyalty and Boaz's faithful obedience. So how can we embrace everyday faithfulness in our lives and ask God to work through it for his kingdom and his glory to bless the lives of those around us, even if we won't see the results in our lifetime? How can we embrace everyday faithfulness in our lives, be obedient and leave the rest to God, Ask him to work through it, even if we won't see the results in our lifetime. An encouragement and a challenge. Happy Christmas. Amen.